Blog Talk Radio. that is engaging and transforming, empowering listeners to being, knowing, doing, and impacting. 
impacting the world around them. You are welcome to join us on this eliminating journey. You can call in our line. Number is 917-388-4293. Join us in the chat room. We're live on blogtalkradio.com. Follow us on Twitter. You can email us, uh, ltneal at cox.net. We're on Facebook. Wherever you can get in touch with us, we are live here on the air. We want to thank you this morning for joining in with us on this broadcast. We realize that uh, God blesses us to have different gifts, and we're glad that we've been able to have this opportunity to share uh, our gift with you. Uh, hope everybody had a great weekend. I did. I, I had a busy week last week. Uh, last week, Sunday, I had to do three services, and then uh, we left to go to our Christian Education Congress in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and it was awesome. I want to give props and thanks to our presiding prelate, Bishop Carolyn Tyler Guidry, who is the prelate uh, presiding bishop of the 8th Episcopal District of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. It covers Mississippi and Louisiana. She's been doing a marvelous job uh, leading us out of darkness. <laughs> And uh, so we just we're just so excited. We had a wonderful time. The the great thing about it, there were wonderful classes and wonderful instructors. But we had over two dozen young people uh, commit their lives, make a public profession of faith in Christ, and that's what it's all about. Uh, uh, getting our young people to know Christ, to become followers of Christ, and to become witnesses for Christ. And uh, I think it was a wonderful thing. And I was glad to have participated in that, and I'm glad that um, it was very successful. I also want to uh, give a quick promote. Uh, this today starts uh, the Connectional, uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church Connectional Christian Education Ministry, and we have several persons that I'm acquainted with that are running for Connectional Office as music director and director of our Sons of Allen Men's Ministry, and um, I just want to promote them. Uh, and I'm praying for them. I pray that it's a successful campaign, and uh, the Lord wills that they will be uh, elected to the offices that they are seeking. So, But I did have a wonderful time there, and um, I did make it home safe. But before I, before I came back home, I, I went to my hometown of Monroe, Louisiana, and I went for to relax a little bit, but it just happened to be, just happened to be my baby brother, and his son's birthday. Now, this is, you know, they share birthdays <laughs> around the same time. So yesterday, uh, on, not yesterday, but on Saturday afternoon, they held, uh, we threw a big party for my nephew's second birthday. And, uh, of course, I didn't care about my baby brother. He's, you know, he doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> he turned 20, uh, 28, and... um you know, hey, you know, we celebrated him, but now it's time to spoil the baby. And we had a great time spoiling the baby. Now, let me tell you, I I got a present for him. And the present, I, I got two presents. I got a little puzzle for him. And, you know, I feel every kid, especially boys, should have some kind of race car. <laughs> so I, I bought him a little matchbox race car to get, you know, kind of play around with, roll around the floor and everything. You know, it wasn't much. I'm not being cheap. You know, it's two years old. I kind of find it hard to buy stuff for a two-year-old. So if y'all have any ideas, when, um, let me know. What do I get, you know, up until his 10th birthday, <laughs> what do I get him? But 
<laughs> I know, I know I'm sad. I take full responsibility for being sad when it comes to birthdays, okay? All right. Um, let me move on uh, real quick, get some of these headlines out the way. Uh, you know, every week I try to do some interesting headlines before I get into today's topic. And um, so, um, of course, I'm always going to lead out, lead out with the um, the Gulf, the oil crisis in the Gulf, or whatever, what do you want to call it now? Well, it's uh, almost 100 days into it. And uh, on last week, uh, Governor Jindo and uh, the governor of Mississippi declared states of emergency, uh, anticipating Tropical Storm uh, Bonnie coming into the Gulf. And so they evacuated all the workers who were working on the relief well. They evacuated them, uh, anticipating that uh, those high winds could cause a little disaster. But God be praised. I'm, I'm telling you, I say God is great. And I said last week God's hand was in this whole disaster thing. God has moved because it was nothing. <laughs> you know, they were anticipating a lot of storms, a lot of damage, and man, it barely got rain. So God is great. And so those workers are being returned and uh, work is resuming. It did set them back about a week. But, again, you know, they're working fast and hard um, the whale cap has been holding, the pressure has been holding, so everything is looking good. And uh, they, again, as I said to those of you last week, uh, you can come back to the state, come back to the Gulf, come back to the waters. The commercial fishing is open, recreational fishing is open. I'm sorry, charter fishing, all of that is back up again. The beaches are fine. People are still working to clean up the little tar balls, or whatever. But other than that, come on down. It's still fun to be had, and I have yet to get out on the Gulf Coast uh, this year. I'm trying to get out there for one good solid weekend of enjoying the beaches. But for those of you who are listening up north, here in Louisiana, uh, anywhere in the world, wherever you are, come on. Uh, It's still a good place to be. Now, having said that, it was announced today uh, or this weekend sometime that the uh, BP, British Petroleum CEO, uh, Tony Hayward is resigning. They have officially accepted his resignation. He's being booted out. Um, and, you know, I guess it's no surprise to anybody. Just to give you a little history, uh, out of, uh, about, I believe it's about 10 CEOs, the last three or four have been booted for specific, you know, for 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 reasons. One was booted because he lied about a gay relationship. Another one was booted um because uh, he didn't agree with the strategies that they wanted to say, you know, improving strategies. And then now uh, Tony Hayward is being booted because of the way he has not only approached but disengaged himself from the Gulf crisis. Now, this is a guy who everybody, this is a CEO that a lot of people are beginning to love to hate. And the reason they say that is because, you know, when he came over here, he came, he had this pompous attitude like I really don't care and then he had the nerve to say I just want my life back man you're talking about a slap in the face and um and so people are you know people are glad and while the cross while the crisis was going on he was at a yachting race and you know just totally disattached from what he should be concerned about and well they're giving him the boot and it the rumor is that there will be an American who will be taking his place. Uh, no one is really sure about that. There are several candidates that are discussing this all in the company. 
but uh, of course they would like for an American. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be just a slap in the face to have an American running the British company? It's a slap in the face, and one from Mississippi at that. It's just I, I, hey, but he's not leaving empty-handed. Tony Hayward is not leaving empty-handed. He's reportedly going to get about eighteen million dollars worth of stock and salary. You know, man, I tell you, what can we say? Let me move on. That's a that's some interesting stories that I caught this week and this weekend that I love to share with you. Uh, I was watching the news, uh, CNN headline news this weekend, and um, one California town, Bell, Bell, California, is highly upset because they learned that they had three city officials who were making more or as more than the president of the United States. Uh, they had the city manager whose position is not much, not much at all. But they were they were paying the city manager over eight hundred thousand dollars. Oh my God! The police chief was making over four hundred thousand um, dollars. And there was um, another city official who was making close to three hundred thousand dollars. And get this, this is the killing part: city council members were making a salary of over $100,000 for a part-time job. Can you believe that? Now, this is not Los Angeles. This is not San Francisco. This is not San Diego. This is a very small town. And the mayor had the nerve to defend the salary, saying that if you want you know, you know, want to get good work, you got to get good people, and to get good people, you have to pay a lot of money. <laughs> and I tell you, I, you know, and they wonder why they're in a crisis there. Uh, in California, man, the guy's making more than the president of the United States. Huh? Uh, well, as a salary from the president, you know. uh, this is funny. Um, there was a lot of news of animals gone wild this weekend. Uh, um, there was a report of a whale. You know, they, they say that whales can't see; they're, they're blind. Well, there was a report of a whale that got a little too close to a sailboat, and I guess it was either intimidated by the sailboat or they, we don't know, but the whale jumped on the sailboat, wrecking the sailboat, <laughs> and talking about killer whales, my goodness. But everybody was safe and sound. Uh, the sailors, they were, they, they lost their boat, but they kept their life. That's a good thing. Now, in, uh, now in South Louisiana, we have, we have a nice black bear population. But I, I came across a story um, uh, in where is this again? Uh, Colorado, yeah, in Colorado, uh, <laughs> this black bear uh, attempted to steal a car. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, apparently, it smelled some food in the back seat of the car and it decided it was going to get in. I don't know how it got in. Don't know how it opened the door, but it got into the car. And once it got into the car, it got trapped and. Um, kicked the the gear into neutral. The car rolled back and and it crashed the car. <laughs> yeah, and the kid who uh, it was a 2008 Toyota Corolla, and the little teenager kid, you know, he was like, "Oh my God, the car is stolen. What am I going to tell my dad? What am I, you know?" He was, you know, he thought the worst, only to find out that the bear had gotten into it, torn it up, and uh, it was a funny story. I just thought it was funny. Uh, deputies had to get a long uh, long rod to open the door, and the moment they opened the door, the, the bear jumped out and ran away. <laughs> I guess it was glad to be out of that that hard place. 
but <laughs> it's just interesting that Bear kill uh you know get in there get stuck kicks it in neutral and wrecks the car how do you explain that to your insurance company <laughs> oh well bear wrecked my car am i going to get it repainted am i going to get it fixed you think that'll work <laughs> uh, now this this is a funny story i know we've been in a rough economy and people are looking to get into business for themselves because so many people are laid out but uh one homeless guy in california he well he you know he wanted to be an entrepreneur, so he decided he'd open a bar. He went to an abandoned bar. He put a four. He put an open sign in the window. Went across the street to the liquor store, bought some liquor, and resold it. And he got away with it for four days. I mean, he had four days of bliss selling alcohol. And eventually, uh, you know, police got wind of it and they did arrest him. But they arrested him uh, for operating a business. Uh, selling liquor without a license and operating a business without a license. <laughs> Only in California. I, I don't know how much money he made, but I tell you, that's just the, hey, you know, that's how we do it in the hood anyway. <laughs> don't say I told you all that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and um, when we come back, we're going to start on our conversation today. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation we did last week with race and relevance, and we're going to talk about this Shirley Sherrod case. Uh, this incident that happened, and we'll get into that because I know everybody wants to talk about that. So we'll be right back after this message, after this break. Well, apparently, I am having audio trouble again. So we're going to go ahead and go right into it. Yeah, well, you know, always something going on. But, hey, I love it. I won't complain. <laughs> Let's get right into this topic. Okay. Last week, uh, conservative blogger Andrew, Andrew Breitbart, I, I hope I said his name right, thought he was going to retaliate against the NAACP by showing that the NAACP was really serious about their racist accusations uh, with the Tea Party movement. And if you remember last week, we, we discussed that, how um, they were considered racist because they passed this resolution saying that the Tea Party needed to uh, address the racial components in its uh, movement. And, of course, you know, it called national news, despite all the other resolutions that they had on the board, on on, uh, on the on the agenda, the NAACP pushed this one in. It did enough to get the headlines and it did enough to get controversy. So Andrew Breitbart um, somehow got the video of Shirley Sherrod, who is uh, who was an agent with the USDA, one of the highest ranking ones in the state of Georgia. And, um, of course, in the video, she's telling the story. If you haven't seen it, she's telling the story of a white farmer came to her for assistance. And, uh, you know, she was committed to helping the black farmers. And she was reluctant to assist the 
the white farmer, but she did uh, refer him to a white lawyer who could assist him. And when that white lawyer refused to assist him, she took up the case and handled it. But uh, she did it with reservation because she was saying how her father was a farmer and uh, there was, you know, there was segregation, there was all kinds of discrimination against her father, and she had those issues with, um, she had those issues with, um, with race back in the day. However, she managed to overcome that and assist the man and his wife and his family, and their farm, you know, their farm ended up being productive and and but the the way it was presented the the thirty second sound bite that was presented and put on Fox News and ran all over everywhere else uh, made it seem as if she was she had a um racist agenda when it came down to the farmer and make a long story short um of course, the whole thing wasn't aired, but before the whole thing was aired, the n w a c p was quick to condemn uh they condemned her. They condemned the the video. Of course, the White House and everybody jumped down her throat, and her employer asked her to resign because she was going to be on Glenn Beck. And of course, you know she story says she pulled over, texted her resignation, and went on about the way. And just a day later, the entire uh, video was released in which she was. Recalling her experience and not calling out racism or not doing not acting race in a racist way, and even the farmer and his wife came out to her defense. And over the weekend, they reunited them, um, and it um, of course, you know, it brought shame to the Breitbart, uh, brought shame to Breitbart, the Beck, and to all of everybody else, the NAACP, everybody who quickly denounced her. Uh, Shirley Sherrod from a soundbite, and um, of course we know it's different than now. Look, I'm going to try to redo this break, and we're going to come back. Okay, here we go. We'll try it again. www.zsforliving.com for more information. 
All right, welcome back to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Uh, look, be sure to call in our number as, um, to join in the conversation. We love listening to your comments. We love when you share them with us and how we can do better. All those again. You can even suggest show topics for us. The number, again, that you can call in and participate is 1-917-388-4293. You can also drop us an email at ltneal at cox.net. Join us in the chat room. We are here. Um, and and we, we stay in the chat room even after the show is over, so uh, you can still join in the discussion even when we're off the air. You can you can join in the discussion. Uh, we're following us on – follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're, you know, we tweet uh, – Try to update as we can. I'm not good at multitasking, <laughs> but uh, give us your information. Leave us uh, read the blog. Leave comments on the blog. We try to we try to um, put information there and write good articles for you to read. So let's get back into this discussion about Shirley Sherrod, and um, we're still talking about race and relevance and the relevance of these uh, organizations like the NAACP, the Urban League, um, Core. Uh, Congress of Racial Equality, uh, Southern Christian Leadership Congress, all those, all these organizations, including including black churches, um, the National Baptist USA, the National Baptist of America, Progressive Baptist of uh, Baptist of America, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, AME Zion, all these black denominations, the Church of God in Christ. These are these are mainline. Uh, Denominations that I'm addressing. I'm not talking about these uh, uh, non-denominational fellowships, associations, or things like that. I, that's a whole other subject topic I'm going to get into another time. Uh, but let's get back into that. I'm going to read the article real quick um, that is on, on the web that you can you can go to. Um, it's titled "Misleading Stories: Misleading uh, When Race Is the Issue, Misleading Coverage Sets Off an Uproar," and and of course, uh, this is on the uh, New York Times website, NewYorkTimes.com. You can read this, but um, and 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 even though I don't usually read the New York Times, uh, I, I skim through it occasionally. But um, this one is right on when it comes to when it comes to uh, this situation of Ms. Uh, Sherrod and Andrew Breitbart. Now. Andrew Breitbart was attempting, and I'm sure he was sincere in his attempt to uh, reconcile the resolution of the NAACP with uh, this footage that he somehow got. But in doing so, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't. I know he had to see the whole video. Everybody, you can assume that he had to see the whole video. But in spite of seeing the entire video, hearing the entire story, he got this short menage and put it on the air so that he could look good. And it got on Fox News. Glenn Beck was, you know, Glenn Beck picked it up and they ran with it. And you're talking about investigative journalism <laughs> going awry. This was the worst case of investigative, one of the worst cases of investigative journalism. And um, um, so, in the statement, in the in the article, it lists uh, it, it quotes uh, Jane Hall. She's a communication professor at American University, and she's a former um, contributor to Fox News. And this is what she says. Um, she says, partisan media outlets 
look for something that will get an audience and that whip up people in some kind of frenzy, warranted or not. And then she fit on, went on to say that what Ms. Sher, uh, Sherrod has endured was nothing more than classic propaganda. And the reality is, is that what that's basically what it has been. Um, and you know, I, I admire Glenn, Black, Glenn Beck and I watch his show. I listen to his radio broadcast. But you know, he's he's on some kind of rant. I I just don't understand. You know, he's really trying to make it seem worse than what it is when it comes to uh, Mr. Obama's presidency. And I, I I tell you, some things are worth it, some things are not. And I'm trying stay on task and without getting on a tan off tangent here. But, you know, he's he's you know, he's been whipping up everything. He's going he's been addressing all kinds of stuff that he's really ill informed about, like black liberation theology. Um if you go on my Facebook page, uh I have two articles that I put on my Facebook page about him trying to address that. Um, black liberation theology. He has no idea about that, but he wants to make it out to be socialist, anti anti-American and all this stuff and um of course he uses Jeremiah Wright as the as the cheerleader for that um and other things that with this um and of course with uh, this Breitbart uh issue without fully investigating I mean you're supposed to be on television you're supposed to have a team who researches all you he has teams of people researching all this other stuff to make connections so he can draw on his chalkboard, but yet he did not fully investigate that. And it's just a shameful thing. And, of course, Mr. Breitbart has made no public apology. He has made no kind of public apology or no retraction whatsoever. And this is his defense. His defense is that anyone who speaks against the Democratic, uh, uh, the Democrats' ideals, views, or candidates, is viewed as a racist. <laughs> now, of course, there's some truth to that, but, you know, you can't just take things out of context and go with it. But that's the kind of, you know, clip and snip world of media that we live in. And um, you can clip a, you can find a clip of anybody and then, you know, and go with it. Now, in the black preaching tradition, we, we, we see this all the time. You know, one person gets a scripture and runs with it, and, you know, they start off with one scripture. And they can start off with, uh, Matthew chapter five in the Beatitudes, and never know, you never get back to that. But they had their scripture. <laughs> I know that's not a good parallel, but you know, it could. I could do better on that. Um, but there are some truths to that. The reality is that there are factions in both the Democratic and 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 um, the Republican parties that have some racial tendencies and racial overtones and racist overtones and. Unfortunately, we have not got around that. We will not get around. And have you noticed that since President Obama has been in office, racism has intensified? Um, I dare say that that uh, racist whites have become more aggressive. Excuse me, in in the in disputing issues and disputing things than they were, they become more aggressive, more assertive than they did when George W. Bush was in president, was president, all other other white men were president, and that's just the reality is, let me tell you, I was, um, like I said, I was in, in Mississippi last week, I made a, I did a stop, get a quick bite to eat, and uh, while I was driving on the back roads of Mississippi and made this stop, uh, I saw some of the rem- remnants of rebel pride. And um, 
I was I couldn't believe what I saw. It was a bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker had a picture of uh, President Obama, and you know, this big old picture of President Obama, and then the message on the bumper sticker wrote, "The reason why stupid people should not vote." And I, and I was really offended. I, I mean, yeah, you, you know. If you're going to talk about a person, talk about a person because of, you know, the policies. But this was clearly, clearly racist and um, because, you know, it, it had nothing to do, had nothing to do with uh, President Obama's policy. You have a picture of him with a, you know, you know, what what the do not, you know, the do not circle with a line through it kind of thing. And I was like, that's just ridiculous. And then as I walked into the restaurant, you know, there was a gathering of old white men. They were sitting there at a table, and they were talking to us. And uh, I had sat down, and I was only sitting down for maybe about a good two, three minutes before another white guy came in, an older white guy. He said, hey, did you see the bumper sticker on so-and-so's car? And the way he said it was so, you know, he was like, yeah. <laughs> wow, look at the, you know, I was like. I wanted to get up and slap them, but, you know, I didn't. I just ate my meal, and then I quickly ate my meal and got the heck up out of there. You understand what I'm saying? But um, these organizations, the NAACP, um, uh, the NAACP in particular, simply because it's gotten the most attention from the incident, uh, they quickly they quickly denounced uh, Shirley Sherrod. They quickly said they were against the statements and they quickly did all this stuff. They acted with haste and all of these things and they did that simply because they wanted to cover their behinds. And then the next day, uh, President um, Benjamin Jealous got on the air and he apologized for the hastiness in attacking her after they had seen the full clip. And he, he did a great defense because he said, we attract. We uh, the reason we acted quickly and swiftly was because it was an NAAC sanctioned event, and we did not want to be aligned with. If she was, if it was true, we did not want to be aligned with that. And I applaud him for that because that's the type of leadership that's good. But it was a little bit too late. But at least he he did correct. It. But these, you know, um, this, these agencies, these. These para-black uh, national um, organizations, you don't see them at the national level. You don't see them actively engaged in this um, dissent that's going on in the country. Uh, it's, it took issues like this uh, with Mr. Rod. It took issues like this and with the resolution for them to get engaged, and it was a loose engagement. It wasn't a direct engagement. It was a loose engagement. Um, now, on the local level, they're engaged. I can tell you most local chapters of the NAACP are not sitting idly by waiting for, for stuff to happen. They are actively engaging the community of actively doing what needs to be doing to ensure. Now, there are some chapters where you just have black people in leadership, you know, wanting to be seen. And there are other chapters where they are actively engaging the social injustices that are plaguing our black communities. But they're still silent on one thing that's killing us, and that is abortion. They're still silent. They won't support uh, pro-life. They won't do that. They won't go out against uh, Planned Parenthood. That's obviously uh, eugenicist. Uh, that you know, Planned Parenthood is telling us to kill our black babies. And, 
they're not addressing that. Uh, so there's a lot to be done when it comes to this, this, um, these issues. But the reality is we just cannot give up on these organizations, but we have to promote, we have to tell them to promote what's real and what's right instead of waiting to, uh, instead of waiting to get the media attention to do it. Um, if you go back in the history, they were the instigators. They were the ones that did it from, from 1903, oh, 19, whenever they were formed in, uh, in the early 19, in the early 20th century until, um, until now, they uh, they need to get back to that state. I'm going to take a quick break, and um, when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion. I got a great article I think that you guys are going to love. Um, as soon as we come back, we're going to get into that, okay?
Family, a new and exciting book by Pastor Lorenzo T. Neal. Available now on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, Borders, and in your local bookstore. A Breach in the Family addresses issues that directly or indirectly create conflict and confusion in families that create breaches of secrecy, bitterness, anguish, and alienation. Described as a tell-all for dysfunctional families, a breach in a family is a must-have. So order your copy today. All right, welcome back to Zero of the Day with your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I am your humble host, Lorenzo Neal. Of course, you probably figured that out already. <laughs> Listen, please join in our conversation by dialing in, calling in any way you want to. Call in today. Uh, you can call in the number. It's 917 excuse me, 388-4293. Uh, shoot us an email, ltneal.cox.net. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, join us in the chat room on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, any way you want to get to us, you can get to us, and we just appreciate you listening to you, and we pray that um, that you continue to support us and lift us up as we grow and do what we believe God has put on our heart to do. Uh, we've been following the story of Shirley Sherrod, and of course, uh, leading off with the NAACP a couple of weeks, uh, denouncing the uh, some um, parts, uh, some some parts of the Tea Party movement, some factions of the Tea Party movement, as being racist. And then last week with um, um, conservative blogger Andrew Breitbart um, putting out the Sherry Sherrod incident and, of course, the fallout from that. And now we're we're back to this discussion about the relevance of those those organizations and how could it happen? Uh, I want to read something to you real quick about um, Fox News and how they've been supporting all of these um, what they what's been called reverse racism. Uh, they're promoting um, black racism versus white racism, and uh, and as I said earlier, racism exists. Racism exists. Uh, it's nothing you can do to hide it, and um, now some of the most honest people are, called, are called racist because they're disagreeing with particular views or uh, political views. And um, our country is beginning; it's, it's always been divided, but it's becoming more and more divided now uh, because we have a uh, a president of color in office. And although this president of color has, in many ways, attempted to uh, to blur the line you know, make black and white gray. Unfortunately, he's only caused a greater division between black and white. And we're seeing that on the other end spectrum in the facets of the Tea Party. And while uh, the black community, the black uh, black side is becoming more progressive. And these social organizations, the NAACP in particular, the only reason I'm, I'm addressing the NAACP, I'm not knocking their organization. It's a wonderful organization. What I'm saying is that the relevance uh, their relevance at a national level is become, is questionable because again, when they were at the convention, they put out this uh, this resolution. They gained national attention from it, but they have not been assertive and aggressive in uh, agitating the social issue. In other words, well, they have been aggressive in agitating it from a neutral, you know, standpoint. Once when they were uh, when it was really active, you know, in 
the twentieth century, uh, pre civil rights movements, you know, when they were really pushing it. Uh, when they were the agitators of social justice, they went to the aid of blacks. They caused uh, whites to second-guess themselves and their supremacy and Jim Crow and segregation and all that stuff. And by the time the civil rights uh, movement became full swing, those organizations were at the forefront along with the black churches. And now um, it's as if they're seeking to maintain their identity as some type of social justice agent, however, without uh, without doing the social justice work. And this is evident as they can, you know, last week when they were quick to condemn uh, uh, Sher- uh, Shirley Sherrod. But uh, it brings me up to this article that I, I, I came across um, on religious dispatches, uh, www.com, uh, religiondispatches.org. The article is entitled, The Christianization of Shirley Sherrod. Christianization by any other name or color smells the same. Now, the gist of the article is, of course, is, is, it talks about the situation with Shirley Sherrod. But then it comes back down to, and this is uh, what I, I really, what really caught my attention. It uh, talks about that the actions that got Sherrod and her black audience uh, is not different from the narrow, arbitrary policies drawn to continue to confine African Americans in the 19th and 20th centuries. In other words, convoluted literacy tests to take to vote, grandfather clauses, and behavioral policies required for black enfranchisement and interaction with whites. Uh, such practices are rooted in colonial uses of Christianity to circumscribe black life. In other words, what this author is saying and the author is uh, Rosetta E. Ross. Um, what this author is saying is that um, Christianity, the whites have been using Christianity to make us black folk fit in. Oh, yes, I did say that. They have been using Christianity. Uh, it's the employment of Christian rhetoric, the Christian identity uh, to construct a social meeting, uh, uh, what we should be like, what we should look like, what we should act like, how we should be. And unfortunately, and this is my opinion, I'm saying it, it's my show, I can say it. <laughs> unfortunately, it's true. Uh, so many of us blacks have attempted to conform to white Christianity, and in some ways it has worked to our advantage, in some ways it has worked to our disadvantage as we try to conform. And what this author is saying is that um, Christianity has caused organizations like the NAACP and other uh, black para-political organizations to to succumb to the intimidation of being non-white. In other words, just because they're black, that if they do anything different, they think different, they act different, they're not conforming to what the white identity should be or what they what white or blacks acting and behaving civilly should be like. And that's why a lot of people had a problem with the Black Panther Party. That's why people had problems with Malcolm X and that's why some people have problems with the uh new Black Panther Party. Now I'm gonna tell you right off top, I completely disagree with what they did. That person in particular would try to infringe on um the bowling the voting place. But um 
um, you know, when whenever black folk get out of line in any way, you know, <laughs> they try to put us back in our place. And unfortunately, this was an example of the NAACP trying to stay lockstep with white conformity. I said it. I don't. I don't apologize for it. Um, it's evident that they want to conform and stay within the culture of white America and feel good, uh, or they could be like they once were, agitate white America. And just because, when I say agitate, that doesn't mean incite racial epithets and incite anything like that, but it simply means that we should stay, uh, that organization, all black organizations, should stay on the forefront of social injustice for all people. Not just for us blacks, but for all people, because it is still going on. And you don't have to be affiliated with any party to do that. You could be Republican, you could be Democrat, as long as you're calling it in like it is. You're, you're calling, you're calling the P a P, a Q a Q. You're crossing the T's and dotting the I's, and you're saying what it is, telling it like a T I T is. And when you do that, you're standing up for righteous causes, which is what we're called. That's what we're called to do. Uh, um, she goes on to say the cultural, the current cultural offensive, large, uh, large through poisonous sound bites and blogs, includes a subtext advocating a constricted Christianized social morality that excludes racial, sexual, class, language, and even certain gender diversity. And we've seen that in the G, uh, you know all these knee-jerk reactions that people are giving everywhere. Uh, but how do how do we how do we uh, how do we end that? Or do we need to end that? Is it necessary? What is the what is the role should be? What is what should the role be now? After all of this, what should the NAACP be doing now? What should uh, Core, Slick, and all these other organizations? What should they be doing now? Should they be staying lockstep with this agenda, or should they stand stand separate and say, okay? We see where we've gone wrong, and we're going to go back to where we were for a hundred years. This is where we were. This is what we mean. This is our agenda. This is what we're going to push. We're not going to promote every white politician that comes in or black politicians that comes in and says they like us or that you know all this stuff. We're going to stand for what we really need to stand for. And if it's true that we have Christianized, white Christianized uh, these issues then how does the black church fit in it? Or what is the relevance of the black church? If the black church is not falling in step, what, what's going to happen to them next? Uh, or is it, has it already happened? I, I wrote an article about the relevance, the relevancy of the black church. And um, there's several, there several that uh, have written about that. But the reality is, these movements were birthed out of the black church experience in some way, um, the black intellect, the black art, the black lifestyle, the black life, and now these these organizations have got, gotten away from that, have conformed to the identity that they that that white America has put on them. You know, now we're upper class blacks. We're able to vote. We're able to run. We have people, and yet those same blacks won't support other blacks who don't share their agenda. And you would think, you know, this is an organization supporting colored people and all of this, but, for example, you have dozens of uh, person, conservative blacks who are running for political, uh, for Congress, 
they're running for local uh, local government, and these people are being you know they're being turned on because they don't share this progressive liberal ideology that has that has put a stronghold on black thought, black policy, black politics, and even the black church. And those people are outcasts. You know, they're not invited to the big house. <laughs> and, and you know, again, if the NAACP is looking simply to, if it's looking simply to find another niche market to get into to re re-promote itself to keep itself on the cutting edge, then that's what it needs to do. It needs to stand up. And I'm not saying that they haven't, uh, again, there have been some great things that the NAACP has done in the past uh, few years, but a vast majority on the national level has gone neglected. The real issues that are facing black people, the real issues that um, this, this organization should be confronting. And if it is, like it, the author of this article says it is, if it really is, um, if it really is a subtext that's a, a constricting um, these groups, subgroups, then we need to look at it and we need to examine it and we need to address it and not be afraid to address it. We can't be in cahoots with the very people that's trying to keep us from impression. And um, I'm going to say this, um, I still believe that black people are oppressed. I still believe that we are uh, we are segregated. I still believe, and, and I say this in in a way, not not uh, in a bad way. And I know some people listening may mistake this, but if you look at ourselves, we segregate ourselves. You know, we have our own things, and once we get our own things, we don't want anybody else in it. And on top of that, you go in the average classroom that's integrated. Blacks hang out with themselves most of the time, and there are few. You know, and then when a when a black child sounds too intelligent, they call it white, you know, uh, you know, things like that. We hurt ourselves, and we we need to get away from that. And if we're going to if we're going to address humanity, if we're going to address um, conformity, then we need to conform to the image of Christ, the image of God, the way Christ told us to conform. We need to do all of that so that. We can better our society. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of people probably don't understand that. But when I say I believe we're still oppressed, we oppress ourselves. Um, we spend, we, you know, we we oppress each other. We kill each other. We talk about each other. We don't support each other as much as we could. And this movement, you know, these movements in the early of 20th century. Um, like the NAACP and CORE and all of these things were birthed out of the necessity of seeing us united. Uh, and we, we've we been destroying ourselves, and we can call people racist all we want to, and we can cry out racism and this and that, and but in reality, we have done more damage than any white person could do to us. And... And we saw this quick, you know, we saw this last week. We're going to continue to see it. As long as Obama's in pres- as president, as long as he's in the office as president, we're going to see that. And even when when the elections, fall midterm elections come around, you're going to see quite a bit of that. You're going to see uh, people trying to denounce racism but have over, uh, 
racist overtones in that campaign. Uh, in 2012, uh, as they attempt to find somebody to run against Barack Obama, you're going to find it. It's going to come out. Uh, they're going to talk about his agenda. They're going to talk about his performance as president. They're going to talk about all of this, but it's going to come from a neo-racist uh, attitude. When I say neo-racist, I'm saying that they're not going to all right say it's racist, and they're not going to all right say that people against them are racist. But what they're going to do is, you know, they're going to throw the race card in there, just like they did in 2008. And it's a reality that black folk, we need to get rid you know, we we have to readjust and reacclimate ourselves to the fact that that the country's environment and culture has only changed slightly, not nearly enough for us to say that it has changed. And we've come a long way. We've come a long way, but we've still got a long way to go. And that's the reality that we have to get to. Listen, I do appreciate you for joining in on this show today. It's been a wonderful show. I, I, I love doing the show every Monday. And I love, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it grow and be able to do more to help out uh, our people and our and the situation and just share my thoughts and opinions. I there's a lot of stuff that's on my mind sometimes <laughs> as with everybody else and I'm grateful that this gives us an opportunity to share. So please, uh even as we go off air, we're still gonna be in the chat room so you can join us in the chat room. Shoot us an email, ltneal at cox dot net. Um read the blog, leave a comment, uh anything else. Show us what we can do to improve the show, give us show ideas, whatever you can think of. And we know that God is going to bless all of you because he is in the blessing business. I appreciate you lifting up a prayer to you, for you, and for for your family. And we are looking forward to another week on Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Take care and be blessed.